You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and thanks for tuning in to tonight's Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan, on this brisk autumnal evening. Lots of great guests coming up on the show. We have the return of resident restaurant reviewer Rachel Keeley, who visited County Donegal recently and will be telling us about her experience in Harry's in Inishowen. I'm out and about and meet a lovely couple who are making a pasta from chickpeas and buckwheat that is causing quite a sensation. Food journalist Dee Laffin will be on the phone to advise how we can reduce our food waste. Lord Hamilton from Barron's Court Estate in Northern Ireland will be telling us about his award-winning Sika Venison. And Jenny Brown will be talking about Galway's third annual Bake Fest, which is Ireland's biggest baking festival for food lovers, home bakers and cake decorators. And that takes place on October 17th and 18th in Galway. If you want to get in touch with me, feel free to drop me an email, s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. So without further delay, let's get resident restaurant reviewer Rachel Keeley into the studio and find out what she thought about Harry's in Donegal. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Rachel, you're very welcome to the studio this evening. It's great to be here, Sharon. Thanks for having me. And you were up north recently, albeit still in the south of Ireland, but north, and you were in Donegal at Harry's. I was, indeed. I was probably a stone's throw from Northern Ireland, all right, but definitely probably the furthest up north I could possibly go before I had to start swimming. It was in the Inishowen Peninsula, a beautiful, beautiful part of Ireland, and we visited the uh, renowned Harry's in Bridge End there. Now, I've had the pleasure of being in Harry's Shack, which is, is it the little brother or the, the cousin, I don't don't know what they call it exactly but it is fabulous and the food and everything's great there and of course Derek Cray is the chef for both places or overseas mm-hmm. all the chefing for for both places and Donal is there also between the two so what did you think of it in Donegal? Um, I'd imagine those guys are very very busy that's for sure uh, the night that I visited was a Sunday evening and granted it was a bank holiday Sunday but uh, it was insanely packed as in to the rafters hardly any room for us so I was so glad I had made the reservation and um, they close early on a Sunday so we got there um, I think at around half past six and last orders are 6.45 so we cut it fine by the skin of your teeth <laughs> yeah. well we didn't realise they closed quite so early but I suppose they're right given that they're so busy during the day um, they can't keep going till 10 o'clock at night you know with mm. that kind of pace okay what was the menu like there are actually two menus. Uh, one is the Sunday classic, so you find the roast and the fish and chips and all the rest of it there. Um, and I'd imagine that quite a few of the guests there the, that night had that. It was a huge amount of families and busy groups and um, people celebrating, which was nice to see. Uh, then there's another menu, which is uh, kind of just a bit more intriguing. It has lots of different types of, uh, of dishes there with lots of so heavy concentration on local fare so you get a lot of local fish and local meats and um, homegrown organic produce and things like that Sounds lovely It was fabulous yeah really it was it, the only word for it was intriguing uh, we kind of abandoned the Sunday classics and, and dived straight into that menu Did you feel you were spoiled for choice that you didn't know what to go for or whenever you read through it did you know immediately this is the dish for me. Um, the menus aren't huge by any means, but I think there's so much effort put into the construction of the dishes that each one sounds appetising in its own way. So uh, yeah, I knew pretty quickly what I wanted. So tell us what you ordered. So I started with uh, an aged Kalia tart, or Kalia tart, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Um, something very, very simple. It was basically a, a, a pastry tart with softened cheese in the middle uh, with an uh, addition of tart green pickle and also um, salted beef on the side so fabulously simple dish very very simple but each of the flavours were so heady they worked together beautifully it was it was really really good sounds delicious it was an incredibly good value it was 5 euro 50 uh, and that would have sufficed as a main course for me it was very big very generous and fabulously tasty and your companion, what did he enjoy? Anthony had, uh, speaking of generous portions, he had the most enormous bowl of Mulroy Bay mussels. Uh, huge. It was pretty much a cauldron uh, to himself. And it was served on a bed of sourdough, which was soaked through with a broth of Kinnegar ale, barley and shallots. So it had a lovely tangy flavour to it. 
I love the mussels, but the bread for me is the killer then because I just can't leave any of the broth and I can't drink it. I have to be dipping loads of bread into it. So the sourdough sounds like a lovely accompaniment. It was perfect. And I, I liked the lack of pretension with it. It was basically sourdough lined at the bottom of the of the bowl. And um, when I say bowl, it really was. <laughs> it's practically a pot. And um, then all the pi- all the mu- mussels piled in on top of it. So it wasn't a case of you know having it on the side and delicate little slivers. It was just a case of there's the lovely flavours. They'll all work together and enjoy it lovely mm. main courses very unusually I chose a vegetarian main uh, yes I know very surprising it wasn't like me at all but when you read through the, the ingredients I, I don't think I had any choice to be honest uh, it was kind of a sturdy risotto essentially with paper thin celeriac on top braised mushrooms and earthy truffle and then on top it had a puffed grain and chopped pistachio with uh, a nice punchy lavage on top as well lovely fabulous dish delicious mm-hmm. I'd, I'd be a big fan of risotto now and I do tend to go for vegetarian option quite often myself when they're packed with those kind of ingredients I don't think you have any other option you have to taste something like that I suppose Anthony went for something a bit more manly yes yeah no vegetarian sounds nice for him but he, he's never quite that brave he he went for a warming stew it was a really unseasonably cold evening that we were up there um, and with the driving rain and, and the water not too far away it was kind of an evening for, for fish stew which is what he had it was fresh green castle hake tomato chorizo and almonds uh, and then they were served alongside really really fabulously crisp golden potatoes that were drizzled with what the uh, server called a lovely wee sauce I love it. Very northern. Ioli, it was fabulous. Really good. I know. Yeah, it was. Uh, but they were fabulous. I, I think I probably would have pushed everything else aside and sat eating those crispy potatoes. Except Anthony took them off me quite rightly. Were you washing this all down with something nice? We were. We had uh, abandoned the car that night. We were staying very close by, so we shared a bottle of Riesling, which came as a lovely surprise that it was uh, had an Irish connection. It was a 2010 Donnacadie. Donnacadie. If I'm yep. pronouncing it right. Kind of down, But it didn't come from. County it didn't. No. no, I should really, I should really uh, clarify that it was, it was quite wet that evening. Couldn't imagine growing anything there. It was um, it, it, the lady actually apparently had married a German man from the area that produces Riesling, uh, the Alsace region presumably, and uh, they together they produced this lovely wine. And it was at twenty six euro again. It was quite good value. A lot of people might consider Riesling to be quite a sweet wine. I think this particular one, though, is more on the dry side. Mm. I think it does depend on the type of wine and type of Riesling that you get. We tend to go for it if um, the server tells us that it's relatively dry, especially since we're having such a varied uh, amount of dishes. We wanted to make sure we had something that kind of worked quite well with it. And were you ready for some dessert after all of that? With great difficulty, Sharon, to be honest with you. I don't think I, I managed much more than a couple of bites, but I went with the sweet, tiki, sticky toffee pudding. It was served with vanilla ice cream, and it was pretty much exactly as it says in the tin. It was sweet, and it was sticky and it was Moorish and, and perfect kind of ending oh. to a meal like that. Oh. Anthony had a bit more uh, refinement I think and he chose uh, a lemon and rose posset which was served with olive oil, shortbread, passion fruit curd and poached raspberries. Uh, a lovely colourful and tangy dish. Sounds lovely as well. It was really it was really nice to finish in something a little bit lighter as well. It was it was perfect perfect finish. What was the highlight dish for you out of all of them? I think the cheese tart. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think so. Again it's something so simple. When you marry ingredients carefully and when they're well sourced like that you can't help but have an excellent dish tell me a bit about the atmosphere and the decor in the restaurant um it it, it, i think a lot of people say this that it comes as a bit of a surprise when they walk into harry's that it's given that it has such a good reputation for uh local well-sourced food and obviously produced very very well it comes as a bit of a surprise that it looks sort of generic it looks like your average suburban restaurant uh, but obviously don't let surroundings or don't let first impressions fool you the the food is well worth sitting down and enjoying the atmosphere was a bit hectic um, and given that we they closed up quite early we definitely should have started earlier because it was very much in winding down time by the time we were there but uh, that's our fault for not researching it properly Tell me what the total bill was then. The total bill, I, I was shocked, to be honest. Uh, it came incredibly good value, given when you think that we had three courses each and a bottle of wine, it came to €84.60. Euro and 60 cent. Fantastic. Incredible. And given the reputation that, it rep- that that restaurant has, I think that's absolutely incredible. Well, it sounds definitely one that I'd love to visit based on my visit to Harry Shack in Port Stewart, which I just loved. And if people want to read this review, it is in the October issue of Food and Wine magazine. It is indeed, yeah. And you have it online on your blog. I do. It's on www.rmkeely.com or you can probably catch it on Twitter at rmkeely. Fantastic. Rachel, thanks so much for coming in 
in tonight to tell us about that and you'll be back next month and you'll be talking about a place called Zamora. Yes, we'll be down in Cork, the other end of the country. Looking forward to it. Great, we'll talk to you then. Thanks, Sharon. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Thanks again to Rachel. And if you have a restaurant that you think Rachel should hot foot it to, please drop me an email with all the details, s.noonan at live.ie, and I'll pass the information on. Still to come tonight, food journalist Dee Laffin will be on the phone to advise how we can reduce our food waste. Lord Hamilton from Barons Court Estate in Northern Ireland will be telling us about his award-winning Sika venison. And Jenny Brown will be talking about Galway's third annual Beckfest, which is Ireland's biggest begging festival, and it takes place on October 17th and 18th. But before that, it's time to tell you about a new product that is on the market, and it's causing really quite a sensation. A few weeks ago, I was at an industry event in Dublin, and I came across a lovely couple called Nico and Sabine. They've started up a new company called Leaves, and it is a great story with some fantastic products. So let's have a listen to what they told me. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Nico, you have a very interesting and unusual pasta product. Yes, uh, thank you for saying that. Uh, yeah, we're very excited. It's a range of pasta made with uh, buckwheat and chickpeas and uh, nothing else really, so no additives, uh, no chemicals uh, or gums. It's uh, high protein, it's um, free from gluten, it's uh, high in vitamins and minerals, it's even one of your five days, so it's quite an uh, exciting pasta. And we call it pasta with benefits. And uh, um, we start thinking about this product because uh, as I am Italian, of course, in our family we would eat a lot of pasta. And last year I got wheat intolerant. So we just went out and, and, and bought the first uh, pack of gluten-free pasta available. We were not really excited about it. Um, taste-wise, it was like eating cardboard, but the thing is, that nutritionally speaking, it was like eating cardboard because corn and rice flour are already not very nutritious. And more often, these pastas are also dried at very, very high temperatures, and this kind of strips the, the nutrients from it. So, we came up with this very special process, uh, which is inspired from traditional Italian uh, ways uh, to put together pasta that wouldn't have any gums or at least like other competitors that would be giving you already protein, vegetables, fiber, vitamins, as it is, uh, so that you can eat it just with a bit of olive oil uh, and already getting a, a balance. Now, by all means, you can add any sauce to that as well. But that's, that's so it's made with buckwheat and chickpeas. How much research and development did you go into, Sabine, to come up with those ingredients? Loads. Like, honestly, we started researching this product, I would say, last year in January. Because um, by then, we were still in farmer's markets. We had, a, we had a catering service at that time. And we were doing a few different products that were working well in our catering service at these farmer's markets. And that was around the period that Nico got his intolerances. And we thought, you know what, maybe we should start making our own pasta and see how that goes at the market. And just talking to people, asking for feedback, asking them what they thought, what kind of grains they like to eat that are, for example, gluten-free or are not wheat. And we just, we really took it from there. We did so much desk research as well. We were on amazing um, programs. We were on a program with uh, Super Valley and Burbia called Food Academy. Now we're on a different program called Foodworks, which is really competitive. Um, It's from Burbia and Enterprise Ireland. And just all this time we've been changing and tweaking the recipe and testing it with real people and like, now we're so happy with the final product. So the product as you see it today is the product as it is on the shelf, and we're really excited. When you started making it, were you doing it at home in the kitchen? Yeah, basically we had this uh, hand-powered uh, pasta machine, and we just really bought the different flowers, which I bought with. Chickpeas came up about later, which uh, I ate uh, other flowers as well. And it was really about playing uh, with those and seeing, because it's quite tricky to make pasta without gluten, because they tend to break, tend to not cook well, they not to taste well. So it's, uh, yes, we really literally started in, in, in our kitchen with a with pasta machine. Then we bought a slightly bigger automatic one, uh, still very, very small, and then a bigger one. And now we're actually looking into uh, building a proper uh, 
pasta manufacturing facility um, for our product to keep with the demands. So there's three different time, types. You have the fusilli, I'm not sure if I'm saying that very well, the penny and elbows. Yes, so basically each of the different shapes has a different flavor to make it easier for people. So our classic is in the fusilli shape, so that's kind of the twisted pasta. Then we have the penne, those are like the tiny tubes. They come with a garlic flavor, and all the flavors are natural in our pasta, so there's nothing artificial inside. And the last flavor is elbows, uh, which is, has the sage flavor. So it's a tiny, um, yeah, bended like elbows, and we're very excited. I can understand the garlic now, the sage. That, to me, sounds a bit unusual. Why did you decide to go with it? I remember um, trying, like I think, about 10 different herbs. We tried basil, we tried other things. And the moment we tried the sage, uh, it was just incredible in the mouth. It was really like, this is it. It was kind of so clear that that was the, the flavor we wanted. And it, it comes from, I think, there's a, a very easy recipe in Italy that is uh, eat pasta with a bit of butter and sage. And that's it. And I think it kind of maybe brought back some of these memories, these flavors, and it just uh, we knew it was the winner for us. Which one is the most popular in the range? Ooh, it's hard to say. People often start with either the classic or the garlic because those are flavors that they know and they're comfortable trying. But then when they move on to the stage, they also really love that. So right now we don't have a, a clear winner. It's just different people are at different stages of trying the pasta, I would say. And what is your vision for the product and for the company? We are we're very excited, we're very ambitious, we're getting great feedback, so we will keep uh, working on, of course, for some new products um, and uh, clearly bringing this product uh, as, as, uh, as many uh, places and countries as we can. We're already exploring different options for exports, so it's, it's, it's all happening now, it's all very exciting, I think. Well, the best of luck with it. It's pasta with benefits by leaves, so people should definitely keep an eye out for it. Do you have a Facebook page or a website that you want to tell the listeners about? Yes, we, we have a website where you can actually order the pasta as well. It's www.leavespurefoods.com. And we have a Facebook page, a Twitter page, and an Instagram page. And we're very active on social media. So if people want to get in touch, please do. we love to hear from you. Thanks so much, Nico and Sabine, for talking to me and all the best with it. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to tonight's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and if you've just joined us, we heard earlier from resident restaurant reviewer Rachel Keeley and just before the break I met Nico and Sabine whenever I was out and about and they told me about their wonderful pastas that they're making from chickpeas and buckwheat and I have a feeling that this product is really going to do extremely well so keep an eye out for it. Never fear if you've missed some of the show as it will be up on the Best Possible Taste podcast later in the week along with all the previous shows and you'll find the podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show. And still to come tonight, Lord Hamilton from Barons Court Estate in Northern Ireland will be telling us about his award-winning Sika venison. And Jenny Brown will be talking about Galway's third annual Beckfest, which is Ireland's biggest begging festival, and it takes place in October 17th and 18th. Next, though, we're going to look at the topical subject of food waste. This is something that food journalist Dee Laffin feels very strongly about, and you may have come across Dee in the theatre food at Electric Picnic, or perhaps at some of the other food festivals this year as she has been all over the country talking about this very important issue and she joins me on the phone now. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Dee, you're on the committee of Slow Food Dublin and you chose food waste as uh, it's kind of like a campaign for 2015 to raise awareness. Why did you choose that particular topic? The chairman of uh, Slow Food Dublin, Bill Gunter, he suggested it to us and we just wanted to pick a theme every year that we can just raise some awareness around and if we can raise maybe some funds for a charity or something like that. So he had thought of it because he had seen a documentary called Just Eat It, which was made in the U.S. Bill and his wife Sharon are from the U.S. and they had seen it and 
and read about it. And they just, we, I mean, as soon as he mentioned it to, to the rest of the committee members, we were all on board because when you actually look into it, it is a, I want to use a better word than fascinating, but it is a, it is a topic that we really do need to raise awareness for both globally but also here in Ireland you'd be shocked how much food we're wasting Sharon it's incredible just to give you some statistics there is 1.3 billion tons of food annually being wasted and that's on a global basis and to put that into kind of perspective there are 1.3 billion people going hungry every day so I mean it completely confuses you to kind of even think about that sentence you know because it's Right, so 1 billion tons have been uh, thrown away and 1.3 billion people are being hungry. Like, you know, it just makes no sense whatsoever. And the cost that is involved with food waste as well, if we're producing food, I mean, when you think about it, what goes into producing food? You know, you're using energy, you're using water, you're using resources, you're employing people. And if that food is packaged and, and sold in a supermarket and you bring it home and then you let it go off in your fridge or or you just chuck it in the bin because it's gone past an expiry date. And that's just, we're failing. You know, that's a failure. We're failing all around. I know there's a certain amount of food waste that will always will always happen, but we should be conscious of how much food we're wasting and trying to look at reducing it um, ourselves. They think on average, in, in Ireland, they think on average it's about 80 kilos per person, that that's the average annually that we're throwing in the bin. About a third of, of what we're buying, we throw away. So again, to put it into perspective, to use the kind of a, a analogy, like if you go shopping and, and you bring home your groceries and you put them all on the dining room table and then put them into three bundles and just chuck one of those bundles in the bin, that in reality is what we are doing on average. I think they are very scary and very startling figures and certainly the 1.3 billion tonnes worldwide whenever there's 1.3 billion people that could avail of that. Of course sadly that's not the way that the world works and I think people when they think about food waste they think yeah okay I'm wasting money here but it's so much more than that which you have highlighted there. Yeah, and also, like, you know, it's a real problem. You know, it's costing Irish householders about 700 euros each year. Despite, like, you know, more brown bins being, being put out around the country and the brown bins are the ones that you can put food waste into, there's still, you know, landfills. Most most of our food waste is going into a landfill. And it's just the environmental impact of that because also the other thing is that food when it decomposes you know like you know the way if you ever ate an apple and your parents used to say to you oh it's okay to kind of throw that into the bushes because it'll it'll degrade down and it's fine and that is okay because it's not covered or anything but if you take food that's in a plastic bag or that's in a bin and you bring it to a landfill and it's covered over when food um, decomposes and it's covered all the gases that it produces are called they're called methane and methane is a massive, massive factor in greenhouse gas, in climate change. And that's one of food waste is actually causing and adding a massive factor in climate change. And, and I just think people don't realize that. This documentary that I mentioned earlier, Just Eat It, um, we actually had a showing of it there a couple of weeks ago in Dublin. And we had a good crowd for it and everybody just was aghast at the end of it. And I think it needs to be watched by as many people as possible. I'd love to get it shown in schools and just to get people thinking, maybe do some projects around it, you know, that sort of way. And just to get, show people um, not only the amount of food being wasted, but but also how some of that food can be rescued. Um, I've been doing some work with Voice Ireland, who are an environmental uh, charity, and they have a campaign called Food Rescue and they hold events around the country where they cook food for people from rescued food. Now, we're not talking about digging in your bins and pulling out gone-off bananas and things like that. We're talking about in a supermarket or in in a market, they're not able to display or sell goods after a certain point because of health and safety laws here and regulations in this country and the the date expiration date uh, legislation but there's nothing wrong with some of the food that's been thrown out it's perfectly good so we we kind of held a few events and they've been holding them and I got involved in a few where we kind of rescued some food and then we cooked perfectly good dinners out of it and served them to people 
just to show them, you know, what you can make out of this food. And, you know, so if it is a carrot that's gone a bit bendy, gone a bit kind of um, tid looking, that you can, you know, you still can use that for specific dishes. Like maybe, you know, if you're making a soup or something, so you're not going to notice if that carrot wasn't at its best, you know, wasn't that it, it, it's freshest. Uh, we've been working with them and we're doing a lot of stuff on that. The other thing is, as well, and there's just one other thing as well, just on that, is our own perception, customers' perceptions of what food should be like, our, our demands in the supermarket. Um, it's almost like a vicious circle. If we go into a supermarket, the supermarkets have purposely made their fruit and veg sections look as attractive and colourful and fresh as they can be. They don't want fruit or veg there that is slightly wilted, slightly unfresh. So that will get pulled off the uh, shelves and replaced with fresh, fresher produce. And as a consumer, because that's the way that supermarkets operate, we then go in and we expect to see fruit and veg as fresh as possible. We are reaching for the bananas that are completely yellow and look perfect rather than the ones, if there's any black marks on them, people will not go for them. Or most people won't anyway. I don't want to generalise. And I just think we need to kind of really work on changing that and changing our perceptions of how fruit and vegetables and fresh foods should be. Um, so that's a, that's a massive issue. Another part of that is, as I was mentioned already, the legislation around expiration dates. In this country, uh, we have a lot of different expiration dates. And I'd say a lot of people don't know the difference. So you've got display until, you've got sell by, you've got use by, um, and you've got best before. Um, the only one that a consumer needs to be concerned about is the use by date. The use by date is actually a date that's mostly added to perishable goods like dairy or meat. And it is a date that will highlight when that when that uh, you should use that product by uh, in terms of health, not health and safety, there's actually no legislation around that, but just in terms of when, it is a very definite guideline is what I'm trying to say, is when you should use it by. The other sell-by and display-by are actually stock control dates that are just for the supermarket and we should not pay any attention to them. In fact, they shouldn't really have them on there because they're just confusing. They should have them as codes or barcodes or something that they can use but that's really just for stock control. And then the other one, best before, is supposed to be for the consumer, but it's really just a guideline. It's not even, there's no regulation behind it, and it doesn't actually mean anything. There's really no, you know, like it's not like you, if something has a best before date and it's gone past that, that that means there's any sort of health risk or anything like that. So we really need to pay attention to that, that it's only the use by date that you should look at. And also, even with the use-by date, I really would kind of, if people, like if families are trying to save money and they go out and they spend lots of money on meat and veg and, and groceries and then something reaches its use-by date, I mean, I think we need to really kind of listen to our, our senses and smell and uh, look at the appearance of meat and, and dairy. and veg. I mean, you know if you open up a carton of milk or if we've often poured it into your cup of tea or coffee, if it's gone off, you'll you'll know about it. You know that sort of way. Absolutely. So, yeah. so if so if a carton of milk reaches its use by date, and then you go to it two days later, or even just the next day, I mean, if there's some milk left, nine times out of ten, or higher than that, ten times out of ten, that milk is going to be absolutely fine. So why pour that down the sink? Why why waste that? And I know some people are very very particular. They won't take the risk as they see it of get, getting sick, sorry, from it or some sort of poisoning, but it's not like that. I mean, even with meat or eggs is another one. I mean, I'm, which is another reason why I'm very passionate about this topic is I grew up in a household where my dad didn't really pay attention to kind of expiration dates to a certain extent on, you know, things like meat and that we were very careful, but he always kind of, he, we couldn't afford to waste the money. So, you know, he always kind of said with milk and everything, just and um, with eggs, you know, let's just try them. Let's, let's smell them. Let's, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, and with eggs, there's a very simple test. If you put an egg in a glass of water, if it sinks, it's good. And if it floats, it's gone off. So, so that's a very simple test you can do with eggs. Um, the same can be, and like I said, then smelling and the appearance of, of something, you'll know if it's gone off. With fruit and veg, 
like with bananas, sometimes the skin goes off quicker than the, the fruit on the inside. So, you know, you need to peel them, you need to check it out. And there's nothing wrong with some of that black fruit. I know some people don't like it, kids and stuff, but that's all perception. I agree with you there and sorry to, to cut across you there. No, you're fine. Sid Sheehan, who is a chef nutritionist that often would be on the show, he has talked in depth before about the bananas and about the black parts of it are actually very good for you and to use yeah. them in smoothies and and not to, to just put them in the bin. And I'm sure you have other tips that you could pass on to people about foods so that they don't yeah. put them into the bin. Now, you've you've mentioned the test there for the eggs, which is, is very good. Yeah. What other tips would you have? As I was saying, it's 1.3 billion tonnes globally, but it's 300,000 tonnes in Ireland that is going to waste. And there are three different types of food waste. 60% is avoidable food waste, and that includes like your place scrappings, your leftovers, gone-off fruit and veg, and past-it-state perishables, which I've already touched on. So just something on that there, leftovers. A tip for that is, if you have leftovers, and we some people are very good at kind of, if they make too much bolognese or, or chili or stew or whatever, you put it in a Tupperware sealed container and you put it in the fridge or freezer. Now, a freezer is a great tool for not wasting food. If you're not going to use something, you know, stick it in the freezer and then you can use it at a later date. You can freeze so many foods and fruit and veg as well. But if you do have leftovers and you put them in a Tupperware box or container and you put them in the fridge, make sure that container is see-through because there's been tests done that prove that if you have pink or blue or something like that and you can't actually see into the box, what you can't see, you'll forget about so when you look in the fridge and you go, oh, what's in there? What will I eat? I know it sounds silly, Sharon, but actually, if there's food in a Tupperware box, you know, out of sight, out of mind, you just won't know that it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, so make sure you can see the food, like wrap it in cling film. As I was saying on freezing as well, you know, there are a lot of things you can freeze. You can chop up veg, you can chop up fruit before you use it. If you, if you buy a bag of carrots and you're not going to use them all that week, um, and you're away the following week or something, but you want to use them for um, a stew that night, chop up the rest of them and put them in some freezer bags and put them in the in the freezer. And you can then, you know, pop them into something later. I mentioned the, the first type of food waste is avoidable food waste. The second one is um, potentially avoidable food waste. And 20% of that is wasted. Not things like bread crusts and potato skins. And these are often down to habits, you know, like we peel potatoes and we throw the skins in the bin or we um, throw, we cut off bread crusts because our kids won't eat them or, the, or it's gone a bit stale. But we all know that stale bread makes brilliant breadcrumbs or stuffing or things like that. So, And you can freeze breadcrumbs as well. And potato skins, I mean, there are so many things you can make with potato skins, not to mention just stuffing the potato skin or putting some nice cheese or bacon on it and grilling it is a really nice thing. So looking at avoidable food waste as well. And then the last 20% is unavoidable food waste. And that's things like chicken bones, banana skins and peelings. Again, actually, some of those items, even though it says unavoidable, they actually can be used. I mean, we all know we've all been making stock for years. If you do a roast chicken one night and you have the leftovers for lunch, for uh, sandwiches the next day, and then you're left with the carcass with a tiny bit of meat on that or something. I mean, you can boil that up in water to make the most beautiful stock that can be used just as a soup or you can use the stock in numerous amounts of dishes as well. And then what's left of those bones will be very minimal that you can throw in the bin. And the other one is banana skins and peelings. There are actually lots of recipes online. If you look for them, you will find recipes for banana skins and things like that. Uh, And just to finish off, really, one of the reasons I've been trying to, and a, a big reason that I think people will be very interested in trying to reduce their food waste bill is because the bin charges in Ireland are going to change at the end of this year. So it'll be very much in people's interest to not have a very heavy food bin as well to reduce your food waste is to look at what you're going to cook for the week, you know, to make a simple menu plan and then do your shopping list up from that and look at your shopping list because I know I've done it before as well. Say I want to make something very uh, popular like spaghetti bolognese. So you buy a packet of spaghetti, packet of mushrooms, packet of mince, some onions, a tin of tomatoes, and some tomato puree. Say you had to buy all those things, um, you you know, and, and, a, and a bulb of garlic. You need to look at then, okay, I'm going to use all of the mince and the onions and, and some of the mushrooms in that and half the packet of spaghetti, but how can I 
save the rest of that food and either use it in something else for the rest of the week that I want to cook or if not, how am I going to store it so that it doesn't go off so that that spaghetti doesn't go off until the following week when you make it again or make up more of it and then store it and, and reheat, you know, that sort of way. So it's kind of thinking about your your menu plan and thinking about your shopping list and not going out to a supermarket and just buying on impulse because there'll be loads of marketing and buy buy one, get one free and all this sort of stuff out there in the supermarket to encourage us to buy more food. So what we need to do is have a very clear idea of what we want when we go into the shop. And then that way we you actually save so much money, but also we're saving food as well. Now, we're nearly out of time, Dee, but just before you go, any websites that you can direct people to that would be useful? Absolutely. Um, there are two. Um, the Voice Ireland environmental charity that I mentioned, they have a website called voiceireland.org. That's O-R-G. That's voiceireland.org. And the second one is very simple. It's stopfoodwaste.ie. And um, they both have lots of tips, lots of statistics and things on there um, that you can look up and print off, um, like simple uh, ways to track your food waste, to menu plan, things like that. Loads of information on those sites for people. Fantastic, Dee. Great to talk to you tonight and continued Thanks. success with the campaign. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, we heard all about how to reduce food waste, thanks to food journalist Dee Laffin. Some great advice and tips there. And earlier in the show, resident restaurant reviewer Rachel Keeley was here with details about her latest dining spot. This time she was in Harry's in Donegal. And I was also out and about and met the lovely Nico and Sabine from a new food business called Leaves. And they're making a pasta that is made from chickpeas and buckwheat. And it is very delicious. You can listen to those interviews again when tonight's show in its entirety goes up on the Best Possible Taste podcast, which is on soundcloud.com, and they'll be posted there later in the week. Time now to look at an award-winning product from Northern Ireland. The Golden Fork at the Great Taste Awards for Northern Ireland was presented to Barons Court Estate in County Tyrone for their wild Sika venison rack, and Lord Hamilton from the estate is on the line now. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Lord Hamilton, congratulations on winning the Great Taste Golden Fork for the best food from Northern Ireland with your wild Sika venison French rack. What was your reaction when the announcement was made? Well, it's absolutely astounded, um, to tell you the truth. Um, I suppose not in my wildest dreams um, did I expect to actually pick up this award. We were obviously... It was quite tough competition um, within, well, actually within our category and also all the other categories. Um, but we just, you know, we just didn't didn't think it was going to be possible. The venison it comes from the Barons Court Estate in County Tyrone. Tell us a bit about it and and the actual deer that you have there. Right. Well, Japanese secret, they're quite a small deer. They're about half the size of a red deer and about the same size as a fallow deer. And we believe there's about 700 um, wild deer roaming around in our area. You know, as the name suggested, they are totally a wild herd rather than, you know, we don't farm them, so they're not enclosed. Um, and they favor our area, I suppose, due to two, two main factors. One is a, there's a huge amount of forestry there, and on the edges of the forestry, there's um, very lush um, pasture land for both um, dairy sheep and, and um, beef ca- cattle so there's plenty of food for them and obviously what they eat has some bearing on what they deal what the meat tastes like yeah i suppose you know being grazers um and also being wild they have you know they're free to roam wherever they want and they so they get a very very diet so in the summer months they're eating um, the rye grass in the pasture land and then in the cold winter um, they have um, the young saplings of the trees in the forest suite, um, which represents obviously a bit of a problem for the forestry business because you want those young shoots to grow up into big trees and you don't really want your deer to be eating them. You said there about there's about 700 of them because they're wild, but sustainability is very important to you and the longevity of, of the herd on the estate. Very much so. So every year, I think it's in March every year, we count the number of deer on a certain day and there'll be about six people that go out to different areas. And normally it's the same six people 
um, going to exactly the same area at the same time every year, and they take account, and we then compile those figures and come up with basically then um, the, the total count for that year, and then compare those to the past 40 years to really get a, a gauge on how many um, deer there are in existence at any one point in time. Obviously, that is weather dependent um, in terms of you know how many deer you will see, but you know, we have a fairly good sort of average um, an understanding of the health of the population as well as obviously um, the average weight of the deer that is then shot and examined obviously by the vets before it goes into the food chain. What sort of age would they be whenever they, that actually happens to them? So really we cull them, we cull the hinds um, when they're between two and three years old. Um, depending on how many deer there are around, we might take out some of the young stags, which are known as prickets. Um, and it's really the hinds and the prickets that um, are then processed and put into um, and then sold sold into the food chain. Stags, we, we export those out to, to Europe. The golden fork was one for the French rack, which kind of looks like yeah. a, a, a rack of lamb. But yeah. there, there's also, you also do venison sausage and loin of venison. Like there's quite a few different products there that, that come from the meat. Exactly. So really what we did is we spent a lot of time um, in development of, of basically our products and really looked into how the sheep industry and the lambs were being processed and the type of cuts that are normally associated with lamb meat and then really have used that as a template for what we're doing with our venison. And really what we discovered is that a lot of chefs, um, what they really most prefer for the restaurant trade is to have the primal cuts already prepared for them. Um, So it makes it a lot easier for them to basically budget and know exactly what they're going to get rather than getting a huge haunch, which they have to deal with um, amongst all the other different culinary issues they have to do in the kitchen. This type of venison compares favourably to other red meat products, I believe. In terms of basically sort of the health components of venison um, it's considerably lower in cholesterol um, and it's probably higher in protein per gram than than certainly most of the other red meats and it has a, you know, a huge amount of zinc in it as well so it's, it really is it's kind of a red meat superfood for lack of a better word how would you describe the taste well it's basically the strange thing is it's not too gamey um the comments that we've ha- had back from various different judges in the um, Great Taste Award. They said it's a soft on the taste, velvety, tender, and one person said it's faultless, which is great. Um, it basically melts in the mouth. Um, it's got a very delicate flavour, so it's not, we wouldn't describe it as overly gamey. Um, and it's, yeah, it's wonderful and it sort of basically melts on the mouth. And is it a seasonal product? That is it only available at certain times of the year? So we really only start production basically in September, and that carries on till the end of February. Um, and so the peak demand period is really October, November, and December. Um, but we do carry on selling until the end of February, and maybe a little bit into March. Um, whereas our burgers and sausages, you can buy those all year round. You have a number of other products there in your portfolio because obviously it, it's a very large estate. So you you have other animals apart from deer there. We sell um, other game products that we sell is, is basically is um, duck and pheasants, which are all wild again. And we're beginning, well, we're, we're building up a beef herd at the moment. Um, so we hope to be competing the Great Taste Awards in a few years' time for our beef. Well, we'll definitely have to keep an eye out for that. In the meantime, where can people get hold of the products? If they want to buy them themselves, do they, can they buy them directly off you or do you supply only to the restaurants, hotel trade? They can buy directly from us. Um, Stuart's in Enniskillen, um, which is a butcher's, um, they stock us. Um, we're also, we sell into London, into Fortin's and Mason's in Piccadilly. And then there are a huge number of different restaurants within Northern Ireland um, that we sell to such as all the Hastings hotels. Um, there's Red Pepper Restaurant in Castle Derg, Brands in Londonderry, and the Loch Ann Resort in Enniskillen. Um, Oyster's Restaurant in Strabane has been a great supporter of ours over the past sort of 20-odd years. And then a lot of the fine dining restaurants up in Belfast, such as um, James Street South and Ox, also um, take our venison. 
Okay. Well, congratulations again on winning the Great Taste Golden Fork, well, and we'll have to Karen. we'll have to keep our eyes out now for the beef whenever it becomes available, because I'm sure there'll be a star too going to it. Well, thank you very much indeed, Sharon. Cheers, Chin Chin. Salut, Schleiter. Lovely to talk to Lord Hamilton and congratulations once again. Time now for one more interview, the final one of this evening. Usually every month we hear from Sinead Hennessy from Fulcher, Ireland to get details of what food-related events are coming up on the calendar and hopefully we will have Sinead on the show next week. In the meantime, let's put a call into Jenny Brown to find out more about Galway's third annual Beckfest, which is Ireland's biggest baking festival for food lovers, home bakers and cake decorators and it's taking place on October 17th and 18th. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Jenny, thanks for taking the call tonight. You're welcome. How are you? I'm great and I'm very intrigued about Beckfest. It's in its third year and you were the person that came up with the idea in the first place. Yeah, so Beckfest, um, as you said, has gone into its third year. Um, it's seen over 20,000 people come through our doors. So it was set up originally as um, a way for me personally, I'm a baker by trade, to inspire the nation back into the kitchen baking um, I suppose growing up in my house the kitchen is what brought the family together and you know a lot of people can relate to that um, so the festival is really about getting people back into their kitchens and baking and passing down traditions that have been passed through generations in Irish kitchens over the course of the two days, you have lots of very notable begging type figures. For example, the Queen of Begging, as I like to call her, Catherine Layden is going to be there. And Catherine has an incredible wealth of knowledge. Oh, absolutely. So Catherine will be there on the Saturday um, sharing all her knowledge and her tips and tricks. Um, we have Ali Honor, who is from Cork um, and who will be on TV3. Um, we have Natasha from Natasha's Living Foods. We have the Real Bread Ireland Gang. Um, which are doing great work around the country at the minute, getting people back, you know, using real bread ingredients um, and baking real bread. Um, and then we have local bakers, you know, Emer from Goyes, Emer Mary, she, she'd be very well known in these parts um, and, you know, a great inspiration to people. And we also have the Irish Country Women's Association. Um, those ladies are an absolute wealth of knowledge and they will be baking in the demonstration kitchen on both days, on the Saturday and Sunday with an emphasis they're going to show us all how to make soda bread. Oh, lovely. Soda bread. And I would imagine cakes are very much at the heart of the festival and you have a fantastic cake competition. We do. We have a cake competition, um, which is definitely the highlight every year to see the work that, you know, it's absolutely amazing what people can create when they're given a platform. Um, so the competitions are open. There's a children's category and um, there's novice and there's professionals. So there's areas there to suit all abilities. This year we have a team in one of the competition areas, which is the Wild Atlantic Way. Um, so really, I'm I'm super excited to see what creative pieces people are going to come up with to represent the theme of the Wild Atlantic Way. In the past, what sort of works of art have you seen? Um, so last year, there were, we had a category, um, it was in conjunction with City Bin, it was about um, waste and reducing waste. Um, and some of the displays that came out of it were like Ratatouille, style cakes um, but the detail in them right down to the eyes and the little rats and I know I know rats and cakes don't necessarily go together but when you think of rats too um, I love personally love that film um, but just the creations wedding cakes like you wouldn't see them you know from one end of the year to the other from what they can create um, even the kids you know, there was a lovely little one last year and it was a Tigger-themed cake, but the work even the children can do is absolutely amazing. They're really stunning feature of the whole weekend to see the creativity of people. And it is a great way to get kids into the kitchen and get them to start back and whenever they see what, like that there's no limits really whenever it comes to creating something. Yeah, absolutely. My, my motto when it comes to that, and even I have two kids myself, is 
you know, if you try it and it doesn't work, try and try again. You know, you have to go through a lot of bad bakes to get the good ones, but it's the fun and the memories you're creating along the way, you know, that will be instilled in them forever. What do you personally like to bake yourself? Because you are a baker by trade. That's your business, isn't it? It is. Um, I'm very much cakes, um, like traditional cakes, um, anything from cupcakes, to upside down cakes um, I will be best known for my cupcakes though so I'll have to say cupcakes Yeah, Lovely, everybody likes a lovely cupcake and I'm <laughs> sure there'll be plenty of those on the on the two days as well Absolutely, we have a great range of producers from all over the country Irish producers um, so they'll have exhibition stands where they'll be selling lots of delicious baked goods over the weekend you know, everything from you'll be able to buy everything from chopping boards um, to actual cakes so there'll be a great mix of you know stuff over the weekend It is a non-profit event but if you do make any profits because you have a team of volunteers helping you tell us about the charity that you've chosen We do so when Bake Festival was set up it was set up to inspire the nation to bake it wasn't set up as uh, a money making event um, so we chose a charity called Act for Meningitis who are the only charity and as far as I'm aware, one of only two charities in the whole world that offer free support services from people affected by meningitis. Um, and I really have to say, in all my years of volunteering and working, I have never met a group of people that have gotten so involved. And I have to say, without that core team of support from Act for Meningitis, um, you know, the festival probably wouldn't be what it is. Um, so a big thank you to those guys. Um, and they aren't funded by the government, so all all their fundraising comes through events such as this. Okay, fantastic, and it's great whenever you have a team of volunteers there that can help you, because as you say, they are fundamental to the success of any type of event. Absolutely, definitely. So if people want to go along, all the details are on begfestgalway.com, and it is €5 Euros for... Um, it's five euros per day or you can get a two-day weekend pass for eight euros. You can indeed. Children under the age of 12 are free and OAPs are free. Um, we will be doing special offers so if people keep an eye out on the website, you know, buy two, buy one ticket, get one free over the next week, week and a half. And we also have um, a section on our website that people can go to. So it's called Join Our Club. So it's a cake and bake club, which people will get emails and can get involved in um, throughout the year where if they sign up for it the week after Bakefest we will be giving away a cookery course in kindly sponsored by the guys in Ballymaloo um, so we're very excited about that Sounds fantastic So just to remind the listeners then it's BakefestGalway.com It's on October 17th and 18th That's a Saturday and a Sunday and all the very best with it Jenny and thanks so much for telling us about it this evening Thank you very much. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Lovely to talk to Jenny there and hope that has inspired you to get your bag on. That brings us to the end of tonight's show. Thanks for joining me and thanks to all of tonight's guests. Rachel Keeley, Nico and Sabine, Dee Laffin, Lord Hamilton and Jenny Brown. A final reminder that the best possible taste podcast is online at soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show. I'll be back at the same time next week when I'll be talking to the lovely Nevin Maguire, all being well as he is the guest editor of the October issue of Easy Food magazine. Until then, have a fabulous week and bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit.